the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Good afternoon and welcome to the Wednesday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. I'm broadcasting live from the vocal studio of Miss America 2002, Katie Harmon, in Klamath Falls. Immediately following the conclusion of the Portland Singing Christmas Tree that celebrated its 60th anniversary, I hopped on a plane along with Katie Harmon and a couple of friends, and we're here doing a singing Christmas tree here in Klamath Falls that Katie Harmon started several years ago as a fundraiser for the local Christian school. Well, it's now in the uh, the large, rather impressive studio here, or I should say theater here in Klamath Falls, and I'm uh, in her uh, vocal studio where she teaches students uh, to do today's show. Um, I'm sitting here with my elbows on my knees, sort of hunched over a very small, short table so that I can be close enough to the mic to be heard. So it's a rather peculiar arrangement, but I'm so grateful for her allowing me to use her facility. And um, it's been a real joy to work with her throughout the day. Well, I'm going to, um, I should say, the, the last several days, hopped on a plane on Monday morning early, arrived here about an hour later, there was quite a significant delay because there was a lot of fog and uh, and snow on the ground. Flew into Medford and from Medford into Klamath Falls. It was a beautiful drive with snow everywhere. I took some uh, some pictures along the way that, that uh, give evidence to just how lovely it is. But I've been here working um, on this singing Christmas tree in Klamath Falls for the last several days. We open on Friday night with a performance on Saturday night and a matinee on Sunday, midday. And then I'll be back on a plane on Monday, arriving early in the morning, but taking a medical treatment that I have to have every eight weeks. And we'll be back in Portland, live in studio on Tuesday. So that's sort of my history in a nutshell for anybody who may or may not care. I wanted to try to catch up on some of the news stories. I haven't been following as closely as I typically do because it's been a very um, active uh, last several days and um, still experiencing a little bit of fatigue from the Portland Singing Christmas Tree that concluded on Sunday night. There were two performances and um, went home after the second performance, immediately packed my bags, got up early, early, early to make it to the airport. And so just getting my feet back on the ground and on the radio and hope my back can hold up in this posture for the next few segments as we um, as we endeavor to provide you with some now, some some updates on uh, what's happening. I do have a show sheet here, and uh, James and I are connecting via text uh, with the name of today's guest, and I'm just going to have to wait till the next segment to tell you about it. But um, we do have a guest coming up in the second hour. And I also want to resume uh, reading from a great devotional for Advent, Heaven and Nature Sing, 25 Advent Reflections. Uh, it's written by Hannah Anderson, and I have been... Uh, over the last several days, sharing excerpts from that to help us all focus our attention just a little bit on what's happening uh, as we anticipate 
celebrating the birth of Christ, and that'll be upon us very shortly. Well, let's look at some of the day's headlines, beginning with North Korea that launched artillery. Uh, It was a barrage off uh, both coasts. It escalated tensions between North Korea. They fired about 100 artillery rounds in dire uh, warning to South Korea. So the world is still a dangerous place. I'm grateful that my, um, my confidence and sense of security isn't dependent on what happens in uh, Beijing or in Washington, D.C., or for that matter, any place else in the world, putting things into perspective. But it is, um, it is important to know what's going on in the world. Uh, there's also a bold change. Bill Clinton's former pollster has issued a warning to Democrats about 2024. Not to be too cocky or confident, I would issue the same warning to the other side of the political aisle. Well, the end of the story, Elon Musk, he weighed in after uh, President Trump pushed to, to terminate parts of the U.S. Constitution. Well, standing firm, three celebrities have defied the cancel culture and have held their ground amid recent controversies despite hate from critics. It's becoming more and more of a challenge, not just for celebrities, but for anyone who speaks their uh, their mind and tells the truth about what's going on in our culture. Well, calling it absolutely disgusting, pro-life activist Lila Rose explained how the uh, Balenciago ads are a symptom of a deadly disease attacking our kids. And that is um, largely the sexualization and exploitation of children. Preparing for 2022, Democrats have voted to adopt President Biden's shakeup of the presidential primary calendar. That's more significant than it may sound. And saying, I hate the Senate bill, progressives are grumbling as the same-sex marriage legislation advanced. Well, ticking uh, time bomb, the debt ceiling bomb nears as government spending balloons. Sadly, we haven't gotten the message in Washington. Criticism um, uh, has been rebuked. Uh, Blinken says that, of course, the Biden administration ex- supports Iran. China protesters amid uh, GOP blasting the response as weak from the administration. But they say, sure, we support what they're doing. They just don't know about it, and we haven't made uh, any big deal out of it, um, particularly in light of the authority and the weight our words carry. Pronunciation, a teacher reveals how she helps students hide gender transitions from their parents through language. And on harmful effects, Bitcoin investor Max Kaiser has broken down the fall of Sam Bankman-Fried's empire. It's a rather interesting and tragic story. And it should have been uh, predictable as well. Attacks are increasing. Racism is to blame for firing of uh, liberal MSNBC host Tiffany Cross, claiming the Washington Post columnist uh, in that um, that transaction. And Twitter files a um, uh, fallout. Elon Musk declares New York Times lobbying firm for f- the far left after reportedly ignoring a major story, which they've done throughout Mark Levin weighs in. He says that um, the Department of Justice appointment of a special counsel to investigate uh, former President Trump says uh, the guy that they picked is not someone that can be relied upon. Well, strapped while studying, an expert debates guns on college campuses as crime increases and caught in limbo, firearm sales explode as state uh, awaits a judge's decision on gun control laws, Oregon among them. Well, caught in limbo, Firearm sales have exploded. Chosen to go upstairs, an Idaho murder victim's father explains why he believes his daughter and her friend may have been targeted. Those are the students that um, uh, four of their colleagues, five altogether, uh, were murdered on campus. And law enforcement is still trying to investigate 
uh, the story behind all of that. Changing Hearts Autism Crash Course is offered in an engaging new film to help people better understand those with autism in our community. Well, the Supreme Court of the United States on the Election Authority uh, made an argument over state election authority in North Carolina. It's going to be taken up by the U.S. Supreme Court and promises to have wide-ranging repercussions. The dispute between North Carolina's legislature and state courts over the congressional um, redistricting map um, has raised uh, the question of who has the constitutional authority to regulate elections. Is it Washington, D.C.? Is it state legislatures? Who has that authority? Is it uh, circuit courts? Well, lawmakers in the Republican-controlled legislature were stopped by the state courts from implementing their redrawn congressional redistricting map following the 2020 uh, census over allegations that the map was too partisan. Republican lawmakers say the U.S. Constitution's election clause which reads, in part, that the time, places, and manner of holding elections for senators and representatives shall be prescribed in each state by the legislature thereof, grants individual state legislatures the authority to determine their own election rules, not the courts. Well, Democrats have claimed that this argument is a threat to American democracy, as is virtually everything else these days. The significance of the Supreme Court taking up this case is much broader than North Carolina, as the court in several states, like Pennsylvania, effectively sidestepped legislatures to enact their own election rules during the pandemic. Well, as Justice Samuel Alito observed regarding the election clause, there must be some limit on the authority of state courts to um, uh, countermand actions taken by the state legislatures when they're prescribing rules for conduct of federal elections. So it's a rather interesting um, thing to consider. Well, the Pentagon is debuting the B-21 Raider after years of secret development on Friday in uh, Palmdale, California, the Pentagon unveiled America's latest military aircraft. It's a um, nuclear stealth bomber named the B-21 Raider. It's the nation's first new bomber over in over 30 years, and almost everything about this aircraft is classified. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin, he heralded the new bomber, which he says isn't just another airplane, but the embodiment of America's determination to defend the republic that they will um, that we all love. The B-52 will serve as part of the nation's nuclear defense system. The other two parts of that uh, triad are um, nuclear ballistic missiles launched from silos and nuclear warheads launched from submarines. Austin boasted 50 years of advances in low observable technology have gone into this aircraft. Even the most sophisticated air defense system will struggle to detect the B-52 in the sky. Well, the new technology will enable the B-52 to disguise itself as other objects uh, to radars thanks to its ability to control electronic emissions and its new popul- um, propulsion rather propulsion system well the northern um uh, grumman chief executive kathy warden she explained it's incredibly low uh, observability you'll hear it but you'll really won't see it thus far Six B-21s are in production with a total of 100 planned. The bomber's costs and, uh, are unknown, but the Air Force previously presented an average cost of about $550 million, and that was way back in 2010. So uh, what it's ultimately going to cost? Well, that's anybody's guess.
Hey, you're listening to the Georgine Rice Show, broadcasting live from Klamath Falls, the um, vocal studio for Katie Harmon, hunched over a small table trying to catch up on the news and glad to be uh, back on the air. We'll be back in a moment, so stay with us. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show, broadcasting live from the vocal studio of Katie Harmon, Oregon's uh, 2002 Miss America. She's graciously provided space here for me. I'm here doing a singing Christmas tree for Klamath Falls. It started as a fundraising event for a local Christian school here. I believe there's only one, and it's expanded to the uh, Raglan Theater, and we're performing on Friday night, Saturday night, and uh, matinee performance on Sunday. So I'll be hanging out here in Klamath Falls until flying back to Portland on Monday. I have a medical uh, procedure on Monday afternoon, and we'll be back live in the Portland area uh, in the studios of KPDQ on, uh, that'll be on Tuesday. I had to think about that. Also, I think uh, James has sent me information about my guest today. Thank you, James. Um, he and I are, <laughs> are, um, communicating with one another by text uh, because we can't do so by phone while I'm on the air. Our guest is Peter Mutabazi. Uh, he's written a book that uh, I, I just so enjoyed interviewing him. Now I am known. Uh, we talked a few months back. Anyway, he'll be the guest in the five o'clock hour today. So that's coming up as well. Well, Russia has rejected the G7 price cap on oil and is warning of further cutoffs. Well, this is not new news, but that's what they do. This was on Friday. The U.S. and the U.K., along with Australia, Canada, and Japan, they all agreed to join the European Union in capping the price they would pay for Russian crude oil to $60 a barrel. Well, the deal was intended to continue to punish Vladimir Putin for starting and continuing this war with Ukraine. But unsurprisingly, the, the Kremlin refused to accept the cap. Europe will live without Russian oil, Mikhail, um, one of his uh, spokesmen said in a statement in response. Moscow has already made it clear that it will not supply oil to those countries that support anti-market price caps. Wait, very soon the EU will accuse Russia of using oil as a weapon. Well, for end quote, for Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky, the oil price cap was not low enough as he called for the cap to be set no higher than $30 a barrel. Well, the current price of crude sits at roughly $85 a barrel, but Russian oil has already been selling for um, less than $60 a barrel for some time um, as demand from China has decreased. Well, in other headlines, leaked email alleges that Katie Hobbs' Twitter uh, employees colluded to censor election-related misinformation, as they defined it, and keep COVID military vaccine mandate. That's what Lloyd Obst, uh, Austin says, but the Republicans are pushing back. Kevin McCarthy uh, vows that the military vaccine mandate will end or national defense bill won't move forward. Well, Wuhan whistleblower uh, blower rather claims that COVID-19 leaked from a Chinese lab. Well, kind of, duh. Religious freedom uh, carve-outs in the same-sex marriage bill have far-left Democrats grumbling. And those on the right, the, uh, uh, the Christians who are concerned about the potential of persecution and imposing uh, government strictures that limit their free speech and the right to freely exercise their faith are grumbling on the other end of that continuum. Meanwhile, the Biden administration confirms it wants taxpayers to pay for sex change operations on minors. And uh, Balenciaga's designer, Dimna, finally addresses the uh, BDSM ad scandal and 
apologizes. Somehow it just escaped her notice that it was inappropriate for small children to be um, filmed or, or photographed in such a way. Ronna McDaniel is set to get a new opponent for the RNC post, but she's likely to hold on to it. She's the uh, uh, main RNC director. California reparations proposal could mean $223,000 per person in payments for black residents in the state of California. No motive is known in the attack on the North Carolina city power grid, but NBC hypes the possibility of conservatives being to blame. So in the absence of evidence, in the absence of any clear uh, direction, it has to be conservatives, broadly defined. Uh, Ronick, uh, Switzerland is considering banning electric vehicle travel amid energy crises there. And um, let's see, I'm going to go on to another another set of stories I want to share with you. 303 Creative took the First Amendment challenge to the Supreme Court this week. The Supreme Court heard oral arguments and 303 Creative LLC versus Elanis, a case that deals with the clash between public accommodation laws and the First Amendment rights and asks whether the government has the right to override the latter in such disputes. Well, specifically, the court... Um, must decide whether the state of Colorado has the right to compel speech from its creative professionals. The justices appeared to agree six to three that Colorado has no such right, despite the state's best efforts to compare Lori Smith's religious objections to a race-based denial of service. Well, National Review says this is still a free country, well, at least for now, in which the freedom to create includes both the freedom to dissent and the freedom of conscience to control one's creations. Private businesses and individuals, large and small, rely on those freedoms, including the freedom to boycott. The court should affirm those fundamental liberties, but we'll have to wait and see if, in fact, they do. Well, the Fed is going to increase interest rates one final time before the end of the year. The Wall Street Journal points out that the Federal Reserve officials have signaled plans to raise their benchmark interest rate to 0.5% point at their meeting this week, but elevated wage pressures could lead them to continue lifting it to higher levels than investors currently expect. They've raised rates this year at the fastest pace since uh, the early 1980s, including a 0.75 point at each of their past four meetings to uh, combat inflation. A similar 0.5% increase would mark a new phase of policy tightening as they calibrate how much higher to lift rates. Well, the Supreme Court um, is preparing to hear oral arguments surrounding the Biden administration student loan cancellation. I shouldn't say administration. It was the president himself through executive order who extended that uh, grace. Uh, shifting the burden onto taxpayers who have not benefited from those uh, those funds. Oral arguments before the Supreme Court are set for February of next year, and a decision could be issued any time between then and next summer. The administration is publicly expressing optimism, saying that the uh, the president welcomes a review by the court and is confident that the program is legal. But with a 6-3 conservative majority that has repeatedly expressed hostility to what it views as federal executive overreach, a positive outcome is far from certain. Uh, The plan, once on the fast track, has now ground to a halt under the weight of multiple legal challenges. The case that the Supreme Court is going to hear comes from six Republican-led states and alleges that the forgiveness will affect their state revenues. Meanwhile, a judge in the Northern District of Texas already struck down the president's forgiveness program. So we'll continue to see what happens next.
Gavin Newsom is planning to uh, profit cap for um, oil and gas industry. The governor on Monday unveiled an outline of his uh, plan to place a cap on oil refinery profits in California, a proposal he's asking lawmakers to approve in hopes of reducing future spikes on gasoline prices. Well, after convening a special legislative session, the California governor publicly shared a first look at his plan more than two months after he said he would call on the legislature to penalize the oil industry's excessive profits, accusing companies of price gouging by intentionally elevating the cost of gasoline for California drivers. Oil and Gas Workers Association says the EU puts price caps on Russian oil in an attempt to destroy Russia's economy. California Governor Newsom calls for caps on oil companies' profits in a special session, and perhaps he's trying to destroy that industry as well. Well, Pfizer BioNTech is seeking FDA consent to uh, vaccinate children under five years old, under five years old, um, the Drug Association for Emergency Use Authorization of its COVID-19 Omicron vaccine for children under five says that if approved, children ages six months to four years would uh, receive a two-dose primary series of COVID-19 vaccines, followed by a third dose of the Omicron adapted uh, by, I believe it's bivalent vaccine. Well, the White House has labeled Twitter's email leaks suppressing Hunter Biden's story and old news story. Old because it's been around for a very long time, but relevant because, well, so many outlets chose not to cover it. Well, the White House on Monday dismissed the release of Twitter emails showing intentional and internal discussions around. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast is aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. I'm broadcasting live from the vocal studio of Katie Harmon in Klamath Falls. Now, one of the things she told me was that there's a Thai restaurant. They share the uh, <laughs> they share the Wi-Fi. And if they're ringing someone up in the restaurant, you may lose your connection. So we just ended abruptly because apparently someone was paying for their drunken noodles. And um, let's hope you know, people are eating slow for the remainder of at least this segment. Anyway, if you um, just joined us, I am in Klamath Falls. I'm here to perform for the Klamath Falls Singing Christmas Tree uh, with Katie Harmon, the 2002 Miss America, who happened to also be Miss Oregon. We're going to be performing Friday and Saturday evenings, as well as a matinee on Sunday. And I'll be back in Portland on Monday, or I should say, I'll be back on the air on Tuesday, but back in Portland on Monday. So anyway, we're trying to broadcast under some unusual uh, circumstances, but I think we'll be all right if you'll hang with us. Well, let's see. Um, The White House has labeled Twitter's email leaks suppressing Hunter Biden's story old news. Not sure if you heard that one, but Russia, Ukraine, they swapped missiles once again. The Associated Press reports that Russia on Monday unleashed what Ukrainian authorities call the latest massive missile attack across their um, country, striking homes and buildings, killing civilians, disrupting electrical power and water supplies in the area, notably in the Black Sea port city of Odessa. Ukraine's Air Force uh, claimed it shot down more than 60 of the 70 missiles fired. Hours earlier, explosions rocked two air bases deep inside Russia, and the Defense Ministry of Moscow said that it had shot down two Ukrainian drones attacking their sites and that three Russian servicemen were killed by falling debris and four others were wounded. The battle continues. 
Businesses are being hindered by hyperinflation and supply chain issues. Uh, Corporate leaders have lackluster expectations for the new year as the macroeconomic headwinds continue. That's according to data from Business Roundtable CEO Economic Outlook Survey. Phenomena such as uh, persistent inflation and bottleneck supply chains caused the index to fall from 84 in the third quarter of 2022 to 73 in the fourth quarter of 22, uh, marking the first decline before long-range I should say below long-range averages since the third quarter of 2020. Executives reported a 17-point decrease in hiring plans, a 7-point reduction in plans for capital investment, and an 8-point drop in expectations for sales. Well, Germany has mandated people get vaccinated before being euthanized. Okay, you're going to be euthanized, but you have to be vaccinated ahead of time. It's totally okay to hire a doctor to help you Well, end your life in Germany. Just make sure you're vaccinated first. And a move that really makes you go, huh? German doctors are now turning away euthanasia requesters who aren't up to date with their COVID vaccines. Because apparently, if you want to kill yourself, you could first make sure you're jabbed against a virus that can, well, kill you. 83-year-old Home Depot employee passed away after being pushed by a shoplifter. People, be nice to each other. The New York Post reports that the North Carolina 83-year-old Home Depot worker had died weeks after he was tossed to the ground trying to stop a menace to society shoplifter still on the loose. Gary Razor is uh, seen on surveillance footage stepping up to confront a man wheeling three uh, pressure cookers out of a uh, the store on the 18th of October only to be shoved to the ground by the crook who then casually strolled away with the goods in tow. Nancy Pelosi is shooting for a string of last-second wins. With a few weeks remaining in the 117th Congress, House Democrats led by outgoing Speaker Nancy Pelosi, they hope to jam as many policy wins as possible through before the the Republicans take control in January. And that is uh, apparently coming. Among the list of legitimate items are promoting the LGBTQ agenda, or I should say legislative items, immigration reform, more COVID-19 spending, more Ukraine funding, and election reforms. Overreaching this massive last-minute press is Pelosi seeking to cement her legacy. As Democrat Representative David Sicilian uh, observed, more than anything, this final group of bills are a reflection of the extraordinary amount of work that has been done in this Congress under the Speaker's leadership. The biggest item on Pelosi's list is passing the erroneously named Respect for Marriage Act, a bill that passed the Senate last week and that codifies the Supreme Court's Obergfell decision, redefining marriage to include same-sex unions. Following the Senate passage of the bill, Pelosi asserted the bill ensures that, regardless of what the MAGA majority, because that's how anyone who opposes that agenda is being labeled, and the Supreme Court may do in the future, the federal government will never again stand in the way of marrying the person you love, end quote. She added, I'm particularly happy because I'll be the one uh, of the last bills that I will, it will be one of the last bills that I will sign as speaker. Well, hopefully Pelosi and the Democrats are stymied in their attempt to blow even more of America taxpayers' hard-earned dollars of their pet agenda projects to get this one finalized.
Well, Team Biden has disbanded a left-wing parents organization. Last June, the uh, uh, Department of Education tried to pull a fast one on parents by creating the National Parents and Families Engagement Council, which it publicly billed as an organization that would act as a mediator between parents and school administrators. Well, in reality, the council was a partisan initiative designed to quell parents' objections to and promote the radical agenda school administrations have been increasingly pushing uh, almost uh, all across the country. Well, we'll see what happens with the ban. Um, to ban the use of, um, well, I'm going to leave that one alone. Well, the House is planning to repeal the military vaccine mandate and defense uh, the defense bill, despite Biden's opposition. And House Democrats have blocked religious liberty amendments to the same-sex marriage bill. Louisiana, Missouri AGs, they released a 359-page Anthony Fauci deposition in social media collusion lawsuit. And Meta threatens to, and that's, of course, Facebook, uh, is threatening to remove news from platforms, including Facebook, due to journalism bill. A former Dem presidential hopeful, Michael Avenatti, he's sentenced to 14 years in prison for stealing millions from clients, but he'll be ready on day one once he's released. TikTok is off limits for South Carolina employees on state devices, the governor says. And a ban on TikTok from operating in America? Well, some people are working on it. We'll see what happens as they have been taking full advantage of information that users don't know is available to the Chinese Communist government. Well, the Senate is sealed. Senator Raphael Warnock, he has defeated Herschel Walker in the heated Georgia runoff, handing Democrats 51 seats. Best of luck. Senator has brushed off woke CEOs seeking GOP help against Democrats. And the Terminator, Elon Musk, delivered the ultimate punishment to a lawyer uh, implicated in the Twitter files. Russia collusion hoax being exposed. And more important things, President Biden lays out uh, his reasons for skipping a visit to the border. He was only 100 miles away. He had more important things to do. We will pass, Kim, uh, uh, I should say Kirk Cameron, was denied a story hour slot for a new kid's book. Apparently just a little too conservative for their taste. Uh, progressives and GOP are joining forces to block a mansion priority from the defense bill and musical wokeness, the Department of Defense is uh, uh, planning to spend nearly one hundred thousand dollars on diversity and inclusion for military band. Giving passes, Los Angeles County directive is encouraging diversion programs to avoid deportations. And as a matter of public concern, guns confiscated during the Obama era Fast and Furious scandal are set to be destroyed. Well, it wasn't an accident. The Washington Post is criticizing the Discovery Channel for the abundance of white males during uh, Shark Week. Now, there may be a good explanation for that. People in their right mind, namely black people, may not want to be in the water with a shark. Just saying. Tragic, criminal, and cruel. That's what actress Sally Fields says, blasting the Roe versus Wade Supreme Court decision on The View. Tragic, criminal and cruel. Now, she's not talking about protecting the unborn, but preventing women from terminating the lives of their children is tragic, criminal, and cruel. We're running for cover. CBS and NBC are avoiding coverage of scandal-plaguing Good Morning America. It's just unseemly. 
Where are the reparations? Well, death of the elderly Home Depot worker who tried to foil a robbery is sparking outrage, and some are suggesting... Well, he should be receiving some reparation, or at least his survivors. Hey, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, broadcasting from Klamath Falls. We'll be back in a moment. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. I'm broadcasting live from Klamath Falls. In fact, I'm at the vocal studio of Katie Harmon in Klamath Falls, where she teaches students. She, of course, is former Miss America and Miss Oregon 2002. She has graciously extended access to her uh, to her facility so that I could broadcast here today, tomorrow, and Friday, performing in the Klamath Falls Singing Christmas Tree Friday night and Saturday night, and a Sunday matinee along with some others from the Portland metro area. We're winding our way through some of the news stories, and we'll continue to do that. We do have a guest in the second hour. Power and Anger. A former Ted Bundy attorney is highlighting haunting similarities with the Idaho murders. And in a power play, Chinese President Xi Jinping is strengthening economic relationships with Saudi Arabia. That's a strategic move on his part. In the Royal Rumble, Prince Harry's uh, upcoming memoir will cause concern but won't destroy the institution, royal biographers are saying. At least they're hopeful. Well, Republican infighting needs to end in order for them to lead. So says Hugh Hewitt. November's elections reveal that we remain a 50-50 country. There's a lesson here. America's self-sorting um, into blue and red enclaves is far from complete. Citizens fleeing tax burdens show exactly where to move. In the main, red states such as Florida, Ohio, and Iowa get redder. The GOP's march to the House majority over the past two election cycles should buttress not just House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy's claim on the Speaker's gavel, but also GOP Chair Ronna McDaniel's bid for another term. McDaniel has built out enduring infrastructure in nearly every state, begun the expand, um, expanded outreach to unrepresented minorities by establishing GOP community centers among ethnic enclaves and has upped small-dollar donations. She appears poised to return unless Donald Trump tries to change the rules governing the primaries. Infighting will waste time and momentum. Get on with the job, Hewitt recommends. As mentioned, Senator Raphael Warnock has defeated Herschel Walker in Georgia's Senate race. The Democratic senator will uh, defeat his Republican challenger in that high-stakes Senate runoff, the Associated uh, Press and others confirm. Walmart CEO says that theft will lead to store closures all across the country. Walmart stores across the U.S. are grappling with an uptick in shoplifting that could lead to higher prices and closed stores. If the problem persists, Walmart CEO Doug McMillan said uh, when asked on Tuesday about how local jurisdictions handle a shoplifting uh, case, McMillan said a lax approach from uh, the Arkansas-based retail giant is not the only retailer that's recently sounded the alarm on that um, on that problem of theft prosecutors could impact prices and lead to store closures down the line as well missing inventory has reduced target's gross uh, margin by more than 400 million dollars in 2022 compared with last year and target expects those profit losses to grow to 600 million dollars by the end of fiscal year target ceo uh, cfo said on in uh, november during a company earnings call Teacher has uh, a teacher has declined to teach proper grammar because it perpetuates white supremacism. A teacher in California who identifies as cringy 
is going viral after claiming she doesn't teach grammar usage and writing skills in an attempt to defeat white supremacy. Of course, that will also prevent her students from moving forward to a college education and a prosperous future. She teaches English at Oroville High School and uses linguistics to fight white supremacy in her classes and be inclusive of all kinds of ways to use language, she said. The expectation that students should use syntax and proper grammar is based on a deep-rooted white supremacy culture, she argues. The Postmillennial reports that California English teacher says proper grammar is white supremacist and refuses to teach it. If I were a parent in that system, I'd have a few thoughts and words for that teacher, particularly as an African-American parent. A hospital in Memphis, Tennessee, says it has paused its services for transgender patients as the American Civil Liberties Union threatens to bring suit against a move the organization believes is illegal and discriminatory. Memphis-based Methodist LeBonner Healthcare halted some of its treatment to transgender patients due to a number of care providers' um, questions about patients receiving gender-affirming procedures at a, a facility affiliated rather with their health system. The ACLU statement suggests that gender-affirming care is life-saving despite the transition or suicide myth being debunked several times by experts, even among those who are in favor of the procedure. Well, the Taiwanese semiconductors invest $40 billion in Arizona. The Taiwanese semiconductor company, TSMC, will more than triple a previously planned $12 billion investment toward new facilities in the state as the global computer chip supply chain remains the focus of worldwide concern. The $40 billion commitment represents one of the largest foreign direct investments in American history, as well as the largest in the history of the Grand Canyon State. One manufacturing three nanometer processors in 2022, a fabrication plant configured to produce N4 processors will open in 2024, while a second, 2026. Heritage Action is addressing the amnesty plan. Katie Pavlich, Heritage Action, is sounding the alarm over reported bipartisan amnesty plans circulating on Capitol Hill and warning the scheme will make the current border crisis even worse. With a lame duck session already underway, the time for proposal is to be completed and negotiated is limited. The, um, the news of amnesty as the border crisis rages is not sitting well. Stephen Miller also weighs in, saying this is open borders propaganda, not germ- journalism. A mass amnesty in the middle of history's worst border crisis, along with a blank check to continue endemic vo- uh, voluntary catch and release, will result in many millions more coming across the border outside the law, which, of course, is the point. President Trump's business has been convicted of tax fraud, The Wall Street Journal reports that former President Donald Trump's family business was convicted Tuesday of criminal tax fraud, with a New York jury finding the Trump organization engaged in an off-the-books compensation scheme to pay some executives in car leases, apartments, and cash. The jury found two Trump organization corporate entities guilty of all criminal charges they faced, including conspiracy, criminal tax fraud, and falsifying business records. The two entities could face a a total of more than $1.6 million in fines. National Review points out that Willie Trump was not involved in the trial. Prosecutors told jurors Trump had signed off on bonus checks and memos that allowed top executives to avoid reporting taxable income. Well, a professor disparages white people in an interview. We got to take these expletives out. 
we've uh, seen a lot of professors over the years saying some horrifying and monumentally stupid things about almost every topic, but this from Rutgers professor Crunk about white people being the villain, whiteness having an end date, and her quiet, quite proudly claiming we've got to take these people out takes the racist cake, and it passes as accepted. Uh, well, that's the era that we're in. Hey, we need to take a quick break. We've got news and traffic at the top of the hour. We'll continue to work our way through some of the news stories in a moment. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, the Klamath Falls edition. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. In this hour, we have a guest coming up in just a few moments. Because I'm broadcasting from Klamath Falls and I don't have access to all the tools and resources I typically would, I know the guest, but I can't think of his name. I don't have it in front of me, and I can't do that and what I'm doing here at the same time. I'm broadcasting from the vocal studios of Katie Harmon. She's graciously given me access to her facility so that I could resume my <laughs> my role as talk show host, and I'll be here in Klamath Falls today, tomorrow, and um, Friday broadcasting, but won't be back in the Portland area until Monday, back in studio on Tuesday. All of that to say that the... Um, Klamath Falls Singing Christmas Tree is uh, coming up, and we're uh, I'm with uh, several other musicians from the Portland area that are going to participate in that. So it's a little bit of a makeshift situation here, and uh, I'm doing the best that I can to work my way through some of the news stories, and uh, we have a guest coming up in the next uh, next couple of segments. Well, GOP senators are seeking to slow the Department of Defense nominees until the president answers for punishing military for refusing COVID vaccines. A number of the uh, Republican senators are vowing to hold up the president's Department of Defense nominee until these answers are ultimately given. We'll continue to follow that story to see where it finally leads in terms of answers to this ongoing um, back and forth in Washington. Now, let's see. Well, the Trump Organization, as I mentioned, has been uh, found guilty of tax fraud and J6 criminal referrals have also been in the news. Tuesday wasn't a good day for the president. The jury in the New York case, as I mentioned in the previous hour, against the president's family business, the Trump Organization found the business guilty on all criminal charges, criminal counts. Uh, brought regarding criminal tax fraud. The charges included conspiracy, criminal tax fraud, and falsifying business records. But that wasn't the um, that wasn't all. Uh, that may be a small potato for someone uh, in Trump's uh, wealth, with his wealth, the $1.6 million fine. But the greater damage will be to Trump's political aspirations, as this verdict only strengthens the civil lawsuits and other criminal investigations that have been raised against him. However, it's important to note, as the judge instructed the jury, Mr. Trump and his family are not here on trial. The only individual in this case, the one that just um, adjudicated, uh, that will see any jail time is the company's chief financial officer, um, Alan Weisberg, who already pled guilty. What this does uh, does do is give the mainstream media and Trump's foes the legal talking point of describing Trump's running a felonious company. The terms felonious, fraud, and criminal will be repeatedly used by the media in association with the former president and current candidate for 2024, which was also the entire aim of Nancy Pelosi's January 6th committee. Regarding that soon-to-be... Um, Dispersed political um, 
show the January 6th committee as it uh, its last act is readying criminal referrals to the Justice Department that will, of course, include recommended charges against the former president. Painting Trump as a criminal has been the goal of the committee from the moment Pelosi created the committee. Well, the House will repeal military vaccine mandate. House Democrats have agreed with Republicans to include within the National Defense Authorization Act a provision repealing the COVID-19 mandate for U.S. military service members. This represents a defeat for Joe Biden and his administration's desire to keep the ill-advised vaccine mandate in place. On Monday, the White House expressed support for keeping the mandate, noting that Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin opposed its repeal. The vaccine mandate repeal provision within the NDAA doesn't address the issue of those military personnel who were discharged or disciplined for refusing to get the vaccine. Bigs to challenge McCarthy for House Speaker. Uh, speaker. Well, I'm referring to Andy Biggs, Arizona Republican representative, announced on Tuesday that he will challenge current House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy for the role of House Speaker. We cannot let this all-too-rare opportunity to effectuate structural change pass us by because it is uncomfortable to challenge the Republican candidate who is a creature of the established status quo. So there will be some uh, back and forth. McCarthy is very likely to be the next speaker. Volodymyr Zelensky named Time's 2022 Person of the Year, and the American public support for Ukraine aid is slipping. Some questions are being asked about the use of that aid. Elon Musk fired former FBI lawyer behind the Russiagate hoax following unconvincing explanation for the Biden laptop censorship. And Loudoun County Superintendent Scott Ziegler has been fired after the grand jury report on handling sexual assaults. The Illinois governor has signed an amendment to the controversial House Bill 1095 that would eliminate cash bail. And Richmond Richmond Restaurant has denied pro-life, pro-family group dinner service over their Christian values. George Soros has bankrolled 353 groups to influence global media. That may explain some of what we're witnessing. And uh, Amnesty for DACA uh, flunks the border security test. Well, as I mentioned briefly a few moments ago, on Saturday uh, evening, two power uh, substations in Moore County, North Carolina, were attacked by unknown individuals. The entry gates were taken off their uh, hinges and evidence of firearm damage to the equipment led investigators to conclude that these attacks were intentional. The case has been handed over to the North Carolina Department of Public Safety that works with the FBI. The intentional sabotage of the electric power station could point to the attack being terrorism. Moore County Sheriff Ronnie Fields commented the person or persons who did this knew exactly what they were doing. We don't have a clue why Moore County. So far, no one has stepped forward to take credit for the electric substation incapacitation. The um, outages affected more than 45,000 people and caused schools and businesses to close. Duke Energy, the company whose substations were attacked, uh, provides power to almost the entirety of that uh, county. The company has uh, managed to fix some of the damage and restore power to some homes, but uh, the majority are still in the dark. The strike against the power grid already has the left-wing propaganda machine, NBC, giving voice to conspiracies that cast conservatives in a bad light. 
uh, in giving um, credence to the theory flying around online that the attack on the power grid was an attempt to stop the LGBTQ plus drag show that was scheduled to happen at 7 p.m. In the absence of evidence, you just make up your own version. Well, at this juncture, it's worth pointing out that not everything is about the LGBTQ plus community. Uh, These activists love to play the victim card whenever any crisis happens, but it may be that, I don't know, there's other things going on in the world. Well, NBC and other outlets have uh, jumped the gun before on motives, before stories had uh, fully developed and ended up with egg on their face. I think it's just best to wait and find out what's actually discovered before fingers are being pointed. But of course, by then, interest dies down and most people don't hear the rest of or the end of the story. Well, the House GOP is preparing to investigate the uh, investigators with Republicans soon to take control of the House. We can expect plenty of oversight from the lower chamber's Judiciary Committee. A recent flurry of letters from the office of Ohio uh, Republican Jim Jordan, ranking member of the House Judiciary Committee, indicates that the 118th Congress, which convenes on the 3rd of January, will be full of investigative activity. Jordan and his colleagues intend to leverage their slim House majority to look deep into corruption allegations against the Biden administration and the intelligence community, allegations that have thus far been buried by Democrats and the media. So if you thought the fireworks were uh, nearly over, don't count on it. It's um, just a brief pause before the next um, round is set to take place. Well, coming up in our next segment, my guest, Peter Mutabazi, he has written a book, Now I'm, I'm Known, uh, just a fascinating story when you hear the beginning and how his faith and decisions he made along the way have played such a significant role in, um, in his life story and where he is today and caring for children whose stories are not altogether unsimilar to his own. So that's coming up in the next couple of segments. And then I want to resume in our final segment today, a reflection on Advent as we uh, have before I... Uh, Before the Thanksgiving season, I've been sharing excerpts from 25 Advent Reflections, Heaven and Nature Sing, Hannah Anderson. So we'll take a... uh Take a look at that at the final segment of today's program. But coming up, my guest, Peter Mutabazi and his book, Now I Am Known. So stay with us. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. I should mention that James Blend is uh, engineering today's program, and I'm here in Klamath Falls. Quick break, and we'll be back with my guest. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Well, good afternoon, and welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Well, at the age of 10, my next guest, Peter Mutabazi, ran away from home in rural Uganda to escape his abusive father. For five years, he survived on the streets of Kampala, a city of 1.5 million, until one man saw potential in him. This one person not only supported him through school, but altered his life in every possible way. Well, he has since served as a relief coordinator during the Rwandan genocide, worked for the International Committee for the Red Cross during the Sudan conflict, graduated from three universities, worked for an international children's relief agency, became a U.S. citizen, fostered countless children, and became a single adoptive parent. He speaks seven languages. He's traveled to more than 100 countries as a U.S. uh, international advocate for children. Wow. Well, in his book, Now I Am Known, How a Street Kid Turned Foster Dad Found Acceptance and True Worth, Mr. Mutabazi, he shares his journey from hopelessness to finding faith and coming full circle 
to rescue other vulnerable children. It is an inspiring story, but one that is not just intended to inspire, but to convey a message that may change your life as well. Again, my guest, Peter Mutabazi, he is the author of this um, inspiring book, Now I Am Known, How a Street Kid Turned Foster Dad Found Acceptance and True Worth. Peter, thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you for having me here. It's really a joy to be with you. This is such an amazing story. It's heartbreaking when we read about your early days and why you ran away from home. But it also reminds us that every life has value. Share a little bit of your background for our listeners who haven't had the benefit yet of reading your book, Now I Am Known. Yes. Well, I grew up in a, in a, in a small village at the border of Uganda and Rwanda, you know, where life was miserable in every way, shape, form you could imagine. And it wasn't just our family. It was everyone. You know, poverty is all we knew. You know, most people didn't have enough to, to eat for a day. Most people didn't have any dreams or any inspiration for life. And that was me as well. But I, straight, I did not have a name until when I was two years old. Because for every 100 children who were born in my village, 60 would die before the age of two. So my mom waited until when I was two. She's like, he survived, so I'm going to call him the gift given to us by God. So that's kind of where I come from, you know, where I had to grow up so quickly. By the age of four, I began to realize that our family was different. We hardly had any, any food to eat. There was no glimpse of hope in any shape form. But also, I realized that my dad was different from other dads. He was mean and abusive to everyone at home, including my mother. And so for me, the glimpse of people were nowhere. And uh, I had to go fetch water three miles away twice a day. I could eat one meal every other day. We never had any choice. I never had a pair of shoes until when I was 16 years old. So for me, there wasn't anything that would give me a zeal to, to dream for tomorrow uh, because of poverty on one side, but also a mean dad on the other end. Uh, and that truly was my life, you know, every day until at the age of 10 when I could not take it anymore. When you write about your father abusing you, we're talking about physical, verbal, uh, in every way that a, a child can be abused. You were told by your father that you were worthless, that a dog had more value than you did because at least a dog had purpose. This was the message that you heard from your father up until you ran away from home at age 10. And you mentioned right. that this was uncommon um, among uh, sons and, and fathers in your village. What role did your mom play in all of this? And were there other siblings? Yes, I'm the oldest of five. You know, and of course, you know, we had a mom who, who cared for us, who advocated for us. But I think I, I really dealt with much guilt because I saw my mom get beatings because she was advocating for us to have food. Or she would ask my father, like, hey, would you help them go to school? But she would be the one who gets the abuse. So on one side, yes, I had a mother that loved me and that cared for me. But on the other hand, I could not protect her because of the abuse I had to watch happen. Yes, I come from a culture where men come first. You know, then women second class and children third class. So it almost like he had a right to do whatever he wanted and no one could stop him. You know, so I think as a 10-year-old, I just didn't know what to do. And I thought he would take my life before I run away. Now, at 10 years old, kids often think about running away. You actually did it. Did you have a plan or did you just need to get out of the situation you were in and just uh, take it a day, a moment at a time? You know, well, yes, you know, I think, you know, kids from hard places, we learn how to grow really quickly. I think at five, I was thinking more like at 
12 year old mm-hmm. you know by 10 i was thinking more like a 25 year old you know I, he sent me to go buy cigarettes so it had rained and it was a three in the morning so you know they were all damaged so i thought if i go back home he's gonna kill me so i thought you know rather than let him kill me i'd rather die in the hand of a stranger so for me running away going to the bus station and asking which bus went the farthest it's not like i was looking for a better life it was how far can i run if i die he will never get to bury my own body that was my zeal of wanting to run away uh, that night so your anticipation wasn't a better life of survival. It was simply escaping the hell that you had been in for the first 10 years of your life. Absolutely. It was more like I'd rather die, but I'd rather die in the hands of someone else, not my father, mm-hmm. you know? So at a 10-year-old, I think that was my whole concept of I'd rather die, you know, that he would never even have a, a joy of burying my own body. You know, so that's why I asked the lady at the bus station, of all these buses, which goes the farthest, and I got on the one that took me up to Kampala. You know, I had never been 20 miles away from my village. And I went 500 kilometers away and I ended up in Kampala. Mm. You write about taking the first step to fulfilling your potential after the trauma and abuse that you had endured. At 10 years old, what did you think about your potential, if there was any? And how did you even come to the conclusion that perhaps there is some value to this life that I've been told has no value? Well, I didn't have that. You know, I had lived in the streets for about five years until a stranger began to feed me, you know. He would feed me every other week and he would come and, you know, he's the only person who called me by my name because no one ever really saw me as a human being. Most people saw us like they treated us like stray animals. So I wasn't, I was a garbage boy. I was a dirty little thief. That's how people viewed me. But this person did. He always fed me, he always called me by my name. And one day he said, hey, Peter, if you have an opportunity to go to school, would you love to go to school? I think for me, that's when I began to dream that if this stranger sees the best in me, if this stranger thinks I have a potential, then maybe I do. So when he suggests taking me to school, well, with, with the promise that there was food there. <laughs> so for me, the, the whole attraction was, if food is there, I, I'm going to be okay. And so I went to the boarding school and I began to dream because I had kind words from this stranger and from my teachers. But they began to believe in me and they're like, wait a minute, if they believe in me, maybe there's something about me that I can work hard to prove to them that actually... You know, I was worth of saving or I was worth of, you know, letting be at school. And that's really what helped me to begin to excel because of what they believed in me, you know. So they said, I'm, you know, you're Peter, you're kind, you're brave, you're, you're chosen. So for, for me to steal from others didn't feel like I should so because I had some people who believed in me, you know, the teachers. You know, I would fail, get F, F, but every time I got a D, a teacher would say, Peter, you are smart. And I began to believe those words mm. and really began to help me heal the wounds that I had had all my life that I would never mount anything. Now these teachers were saying, no, you're special. You are belong. You are part of us. And you matter. That began to really help me believe in myself. You began to see yourself through a different lens um, right. than you had uh, previously. Looking back, did this help you understand how God and others see you was there a broader interpretation to this encouragement that you were now receiving yes i think he told me the life of joseph you know he said you remember joseph you told me the story of how his brothers found him and then they were scared that he's going to kill them on how he responded he said for what you meant for evil god has used this to save lives and for me that helped me to know like oh 
no matter where I've come from, I, I can actually use it for good to save myself and maybe one day to save others. And that's really what helped me in some way really overcome the trauma, overcome the, 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 the rage and the abuse that I had had from my, from my father. But too, that I began to do well, then in some way I began to think, wait a minute, if I really take the anger and what my father told me, then I'm letting him ruin my future. So I was like, you know what, no. You know, I'm going to take what I have now. I'm going to believe in what I have now. And I'm not going to let my the past in some way determine what my future was going to be. And that really helped me to excel because I wasn't bringing my baggage. I wasn't looking back and, mm-hmm. you know, what he had said in some way, like feel like, oh, people said I'm garbage. Maybe I'm garbage. No, I think I, I didn't want my father to win or ruin my future. And that helped me to really excel. And how they saw the best in me, you know, if a stranger can love me unconditionally, there's something about me that he loves. And that really helped me to know that God loves me no matter who I was. We're talking with Peter Mutabazi. He is the author of Now I'm Known, How a Street Kid Turned Foster Dad found acceptance and true worth. The book is published by Baker. We'll continue our conversation in a moment, but I do need to take a quick break. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. I'm continuing my conversation with uh, Peter Mutabazi. He is the author of Now I'm Known, How a Street Kid Turned Foster Dad, Found Acceptance, and True Worth. The story is about so much more than that, and it's uh, definitely a good inspirational read, but it may challenge you as well in uh, thinking how you look to those who uh, seem desperate uh, and need our help. Now, were there times uh, when you were living in survival mode that you were tempted to give up? Oh, yes. I <laughs> think, you know, you know, every time I, 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 I failed or I was scared of what I didn't know what the future or what I was doing. Yeah, I, I felt like I'm, I'm going to give up. You know, this is not for me. But I had people alongside who would always remind me, you've walked a long way. You can do it. And that really helped me to stay put and stay on the course in some way because I had farmers and friends that were willing to, to come alongside my, my journey. Mm. What do you say to those who are at this moment in survival mode? What advice do you have for them? Well, I would say, you know, <laughs> uh, uh, the survival mode is, is sometimes it hinders to see what the potential we have or what, what, what the future has for us. But if we can accept where we are, if we can embrace it, but then get to you to say, Lord, you have me here. How can I use to help others and to help myself? I think we get to see the value, even when it doesn't look okay, you know, that we begin to see the little glimpse in hope in how he's allowed us to go through this, that he can really help us to overcome that. You know, I, I love to look back to know that my father didn't kill me. I survived on the streets. Well, that's God's grace that really helped me that he wanted me to survive and live on. So even for you who's listening, you might say, the world is bleak. I'm going through a difficult time. But maybe you could go back a little farther in your life and say, how did he carry you through before? How did he help you to get to where you are rather than being a fog of what today to look back and say, he's walked with you. He's been before you and he will help you even in this situation to heal you, to make you overcome and to guide you to the, to the best place that he wants you to be. You were identified by a stranger who took, um, had compassion for you and he arranged for you to attend a boarding school. You began to receive an education. 
during this season, did you have a vision of what your life might be like or a desire to reach back and help others who had been in similar situations in need of a parent, a foster parent? Um, How did you see yourself through this process where you're being educated and um, perhaps for the first time in your young life began to imagine that you had a future and a hope? Well, so I'm the oldest of five. Mm-hmm. So my my siblings had remained at home and were still going through the same abuse I had gone through. So as I began to go, you know, grade 11, I began to think, wait a minute, I can truly do the best I can to rescue my brothers and sisters. I knew I could not take them away, but if I can be example for them and, and help them, uh, you know, really have education that I would have rescued them from the abuse and for the future of what was, that was going to be for them. So from a, from get-go, I think I had a desire to help my own siblings. And that helped me because I helped them. They've all gone through university and, and have good jobs, you know, but also they were able to see the example. I think in their mind, they were more like, if Peter can do it, we can do it as well. But that really helped them to excel as well. Through the kindness of a stranger, on how he really helped me that I knew I can do that for my siblings. Mm-hmm. And so that was easy for me to do for others as well. My nieces and, and, and nephews, you know, my cousins, you know, that that became my mission to truly help others because I saw how the kindness of one human being had changed my own life. You um, spent some time in Rwanda. You saw the devastation uh, from the uh, genocide that had taken uh, place there. How did that uh, affect you? And did that uh, impact how you were able to get rid of the hate for your father and what had happened um, as a result of his hatred toward you? Yeah, absolutely. You know, when I went to you know, Rwanda, I was rescuing children. And on, on a daily basis, I would see more than 2,000 dead bodies. And my first day to see that, I thought, I'm going to die. And I could not imagine how could people kill their fellow humans that way. But as I pointed a finger, I began to look at myself because I had wanted to harm my dad as well. Like I hated my dad so, so much that that's why I had not become a believer because I wanted to go back home and break his leg and, you know, do some physical harm. But I realized that before I could point a finger to people who were doing what, what they were doing in Rwanda, that I was capable of taking someone else's life, especially my dad. And that's when I, you know, I went to the driver and said, you know what, I, want, I know we're going to die, but please, please, please pray for me so I can go to heaven. And, and he looked at me and said, well, you go to church, you work for Compassion International, you're a believer. And I said, no, I look like one. I mm. act like one, but I don't know him as my Lord and Savior. And that's how I, I really became a believer. And I forgave my dad. Not that I was looking for him to come back and say, Peter, sorry. But that was my job to forgive him. The rest that I knew God would take care of it. And I felt like I lost 100 pounds for letting that go because I realized just the anger I had had towards my dad wasn't good in any shape form. And that helped me to truly see God's grace and mercy and forgiveness, uh, that we all need forgiveness, uh, especially me. Well, I love the description that you looked like a believer, but you actually were not one. It wasn't enough to just go through the steps of serving others and extending kindness and compassion. You didn't know Jesus personally, and that made all the difference in terms of how you uh, dealt with your past and how you specifically dealt with the mistreatment that you had endured at the hands of your father. Yes, absolutely. It helped me see my own sin, and that really helped me to know, to know, to get to know Christ as my Lord and Savior. 
You had, as you mentioned a few moments ago, imagine that you could help your siblings, that you could help your extended family, but you hadn't yet seen yourself as a world changer. How did that transition from someone who was needy to helping family members to reaching out and helping perfect strangers in various countries around the world? Well, I think people, you know, I would, I would help people, but they would go back and tell the story like, hey, we need this guy and, he, you know, we need to give him a scholarship to go study things I didn't really see. For me, I was doing what I love to do, but I didn't realize that I was touching lives. And that's how he took it serious. Like, oh, wait a minute. Maybe God rescuing me, God protecting me and in the hands of this stranger to change my life, that he had a purpose for me to do more for others. So uh, as soon as I finished you know, university, I really wanted to work for charities that were really helping the most vulnerable. So I worked for Compassion International, and that's why I worked in, you know, for Red Cross and, and for World Vision as well, because I, I knew in that, in that way I could use my own journey to really share and tell how kindness of one stranger can change an entire family. Well, and you certainly have done that in big ways, and I'm sure that 10-year-old boy could not have imagined what you ended up doing in these international relief organizations, reaching out to hundreds, if not thousands, of children in desperate need of help. That is all part of your professional world, but you decided to make it a bit more personal as well. You have uh, served as a foster parent and an adopted parent. Can you tell us a little bit about that journey? Yes. Yeah, so when I came to the United States, I came as a student. But my first day in the United States, I saw how much food was thrown away. And I think I really struggled with my faith, seeing how much food was thrown I said, God, do you, do you love us the same way that others can mm-hmm. die for the lack of beans and others can just throw away food like it's nothing? You know, and as I, I looked through that, I really also began to really realize that I was I'd been given so much. You know, Luke 12, 48, it said, too much is given, much is required. But I knew I'd been rescued. I'd been given a home. I've been given education. I've traveled over the world. And I really, this was a time for me to say, you know what? I'm going to help. So I traveled all over the world, but I'd never seen a black person who was adapting or who was uh, adapting in any place like Uganda, Ethiopia, or China. They were all white people or they were married. And I was single, so I thought, Maybe I don't qualify. So in some way, when we don't see representation, we, we, we assume or we believe the lie. So for me, I got to know about false care system. And I thought, there's no way they can allow me to be a foster parent, but at least I can go in and mentor. So I walked in and I asked the social worker, hey, is there a way I could mentor teenagers? And you know, she looked at me and she said, have you ever thought of being a foster dad? I was like, I don't think I qualify. I'm single. She said, no, you can't be. I mean, that day I signed up and I started to be licensed the next day, you know, and four months later I had my first placement (laughs) and it was the greatest decision I can say because it's really helped me to to give back. You know, I went through the worst traumas you could go, you could imagine. And our kids in the false care have gone through the same. And I knew, I knew I can be of help. I knew, I understand, I understood their world. I understood where they came from, that I knew I could impact their lives. And so since then, I've had 27, 28. I've adopted one, and I'm in the process of adopting the other three uh, that are with me. So it's truly a joy, an amazing journey for sure. Oh, absolutely. What's one thing you'd like your readers to know uh, after reading this book about your journey, God's faithfulness, and the value and purpose of a life that might have been simply discarded? 
Yes, so I wrote this book for friends and for those who go through difficult times, you know, and for my kids as well, that to use our past as a way to do better for ourselves. Like our past, yes, we can't change and we, we, we write our past, but we can use it to truly help us go as a foundation to see how far we can go. And that's what I did. I wanted my kids, my kids know me as Papa and they think I'm the coolest dad, <laughs> but I wanted them to see, I wanted them to see like, yeah, the coolest dad you think actually he had to jump a lot of hooks and jumps uh, to get where he is. But if he can pass, if he can, if he can use his past to do good, you can do as well. And I think I wanted the readers to feel the same. You know, you've gone through the bad marriage to not let that ruin for the rest of your life. You know, you've had a bad boss to say, no, that should not ruin for the rest of your job or, you know, difficult in, in, in anything that we want to do, to, to see that as a positive way in how God will use us for any past, good or bad, to truly bless us so we can bless others. And that's what I'm doing, you know, really using my past to change the lives of those around me. You know, the bio parents who think sometimes that they're they're losing their children. And how can I come alongside and say, hey, I'm going to have your baby, but I'm going to watch you walk the journey so you can have them back, that I'm resource to them. Not be a judge or throw stone at them, but to see them as any of us can be a bad parent. Any of us can fail, but I want them to have their kids back. And if I can do that for them, I've given the greatest thing to have them their kids back. Uh, because I noticed that my mother, you know, anyone who passes on the street will say, wow, mother would let their kids be in the streets. But they didn't know what my mother went through. And I want to do the same for our bio parents, for our foster kids. Yes, they've messed up, but we can come alongside and encourage them and be a resource so they can have their kids back. And those who have nowhere to go, I would love to be their dad, you know, uh, and help and inspire others to truly use what we've been given to help those in need. Well, the book is uh, wonderfully written, uh, wonderfully inspiring and challenging. And I thank you so much uh, for the book and for your taking time to join us here today. Well, thank you for letting us be seen had unknown. Thank you. Thank you. Once again, the book is titled Now I Am Known, How a Street Kid Turned Foster Dad Found Acceptance and True Worth. Peter Mudabazi. You can find the book at nowiamknown.com or through the usual outlets. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. Is aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the final segment of The Georgine Rice Show. We're broadcasting from Klamath Falls for the remainder of this week. Well, I was sharing earlier last week or the week before from Hannah Anderson's latest uh, Advent Reflection devotion, Heaven and Nature Sing, as we are in the season in which we are anticipating the celebration of the birth of Christ. She writes in the chapter, Every Valley, when Nathan and I moved back to Virginia, we know we wanted, uh, rather we knew we wanted to put down roots. So we decided to buy our first house, having both grown up in the country and spent the previous 18 months in the relentless flatlands of Indiana, we were more than ready to nestle into green rolling hills. Circumstances being what they were, we did most of our house hunting online, arranging to visit potential properties over the course of a few days. One house seemed particularly promising. It had the right number of bedrooms, sufficient square footage, and came with several acres. But when we arrived, we realized that while the property did come with listed land, the prop, the plot rather, was almost entirely vertical. The house sat 
on the bottom of a steep embankment and took up most of the level ground. And because of the way it was positioned, surrounded on so many sides by hills, we wouldn't see the sun until mid-morning. Such positioning is not uncommon here. Hollow, narrow, sheltered valleys surrounded by steep hills are almost synonymous with mountain life. Their unique shape means that the time between sunup and sundown is significantly shorter, and people who live in the hollow literally have less light than those further up the mountain or on a plane. We ultimately passed on the property, opting for a smaller piece whose flatness compensated for its size. We can watch the sun rise steadily in the east and at night when it dips behind the clouds, behind the horizon. If a bit earlier than we'd like, our sacrifice is rewarded with breathtaking sunsets and rose-colored hills. Finding level ground on which to build is only one of the challenges that come with life in the mountains. Once off the highways, there are no straight roads and even fewer direct routes anywhere. Running errands will take you up, up and down hills, along ridges, through valleys and across streams. But you'll quickly get your bearings because the roads are often named for the surrounding landforms. Roberts Mountain Road runs around the base of Roberts Mountain. Pleasant Valley Road runs between two ridges. Well, you get the idea. Geologists will tell you that these mountains were once part of the same range as the Scottish Highlands and the Atlas Mountains in North Africa. The Pangean Range was itself originally the result of shifting plates and colliding continents that caused the ground to buckle and fold over a cataclysm of geology. Mountains were thrust to the skies while the fountains of the great deep rushed from the earth through a resulting canyon and set of gorges. And while the Blue Ridge Mountains are no Rockies or Alps, they are our mountains, and I'll never get over how much the land itself shapes life here. Even so, something so simple as... Um, as who gets to see this first son. So when Luke writes that Mary set out and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, he has my full and complete attention. After Gabriel's visit, Mary goes to her cousin Elizabeth, who has also received miraculous news. And while the Bible does not say this explicitly, scholars think Zechariah and Elizabeth may have lived in Hebron, one of the towns given to the priests as an inheritance and a city of refuge. Situated in the Judean mountains, about 80 miles south of Nazareth, Hebron shares a rocky region with both Bethlehem and Jerusalem. This is why scripture often speaks of travelers going up to Jerusalem. To reach the holy city, they would have to climb up the mountain on which it sat. These Judean mountains are also the setting for many of the Psalms of David, the hills in which he lifted his eyes in Psalm 121. In fact, this Psalm is part of a larger collection known as the Psalm of Ascent, 120 through 134, the book of Psalms. That temple pilgrims sang as they climbed the mountains on their way to worship. Marked by dramatic cliffs and valleys, rocky outcroppings and rough Crooked roads and landscapes become even more intriguing as the Christian Christmas story unfolds. When Mary finally arrives at Elizabeth's house, she calls out a greeting. In response, the child growing inside Elizabeth leaps with joy. This child is, of course, John, the one Gabriel promised would be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in his mother's womb, the one whose ministry would be to prepare the way of the promised son, as described in Isaiah 40 and echoed in Luke 4. A voice of one crying out, Prepare the way of the Lord in the wilderness. Make a straight highway for our God in the desert. Every valley will be lifted, and every mountain and hill will be leveled. 
The uneven ground will become smooth and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will appear and all humanity together will see it. The call to prepare the way of the Lord was similar to the command a king might give at the start of a military campaign when they send crews and engineers to create a road before him. Keep in mind that leveling of mountains and filling of valleys is no small thing. It's the kind of work only a king could command. In much of Appalachia, for example, infrastructure projects like roads, dams, and bridges have historically taken the resources of the national government. It's no coincidence coincidence then that the one whose ministry would be marked by metaphorical filling up of valleys and leveling of mountains would know the mountains and valleys by heart and it's no coincidence that mary would respond to the yet to be born john with her own song about how god levels things out my soul doth magnify the lord she sings and my spirit hath rejoiced in god my savior for he hath regarded the low estate of his handmaiden he hath uh, shewed uh, strength with his arm, he hath scattered the proud in the imagination of the heart. He hath put down the mighty from his, uh, from their seats and exalted them of low degree. Mary knows that in the world's eye she is nobody. She sits low in the hollow. But she also knows who her God is. She knows that he topples those who sit high and proud. She knows that he lifts up the humble. She knows that when the promised son comes... Every mountain will be leveled and every valley filled and that is crooked and corrupt will be made straight and the rough places smooth. She knows that when the glory of the Lord appears, everyone will be able to see it together, regardless of where they sit on the landscape. Because three months later, when John is finally born and his people gather round to celebrate, Zechariah finds his words again, his voice, and filled with the Holy Spirit, he proclaims, and you, child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his way, to give his people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Because of our God's merciful compassion, the dawn of a, uh, from on high will visit us to shine on those who live in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. That was their hope. The dawn was coming, even for those who sat behind the mountains in the shadows, all the obstacles, all the crookedness, all the sin that had hemmed them in and kept them from experiencing its light would be removed. The world was about to, re to be remade in the same cataclysmic way that it was created. Today we cling to this same hope so that even now as we wait in the shadow for Christ to reign in his fullness, we can sing in harmony with Isaiah, Mary, John, Zechariah, and all those who wait on their king, Arise, shine, for the light is come, and the glory of the Lord is about to be revealed. Well, we are out of time. I want to thank James Blend for engineering. Thank you for listening, and I hope you'll join us again as I broadcast live from Klamis Falls. Have a great night. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G. Rice Show. And like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.